Beautiful. Welcome back, everyone, to the EJ's. Uh, well, sorry. Welcome back to the EJ Sparks Conversation Podcast. Can't believe I've got the name of the bloody podcast. That's all right. Um, we're up to episode twenty-five now, um, and this one, no, twenty-six. Twenty-six. Wow, off to a great start. But yeah, twenty-six <laughs> episodes in, and um, I'm pretty pretty excited about this one. As I say before, my all my guests, but um, I'm starting to move into just um, different fields and different sort of topics. And, and this one, we're going to cover um, a topic I haven't covered um, so far, which will, um, which will be really interesting and bring some light to some, um, some different areas in society. Um, but of course, my guest is Andy and he's one of the, the facilitators at Tomorrow Man. And um, I came across Andy uh, what a couple of weeks ago during Men's Health Week, when um, Tomorrow Man delivered a virtual lock-in, and um, for just everyone, any man out there, and I honestly can say that was one of the best online workshops I've been to. And just to like, I only knew one other person in in that workshop, um, and I think there was like forty of us, was there? I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there was forty of us, and just the the connection between me and the other blokes was in insane and i know i I didn't speak up too much um in it but like when we had the one-on-ones it was just incredible to think that we could connect via this virtual world of ours that we we now live in and um sort of it's i've found it very hard to connect with mates virtually um extremely hard actually but to sort of see you deliver a workshop where blokes that I, I had no idea who they were, where they came from, their past, and I was able to connect and, and sort of form some sort of bond with them in that sort of two-hour period. So it was incredible and, and welcome, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks for, for having me, um, Ethan. It's, uh, I'm excited to, to chat. Um, and, yeah, mate, you've taken me back to that workshop as well. Yeah. Mate, you, you, you bang on. We, when we converted to virtual workshops we had the same sort of I guess hesitations that you you sort of thought there around how the bloody hell is this going to work around connection Um, yeah and you know our face-to-face workshops are all about getting blokes to connect and it lends itself pretty naturally when you're in a room together um so stepping virtually in Mm. uh, yeah we were we were surprised at, at how much um connection there, there was and, and we were able to achieve and um yeah thanks for coming along and, and thanks for getting me involved today yeah no no dramas um my my first question which i always ask my guests is um what is your weirdest habit it's just a, a question to sort of break the ice and and get um into things oh i wish i had a bit more time to prep this because <laughs> i'm like running through different weird habits i have and and i'm trying to like censor myself on them um Oh, weird habit. Uh, like I am, like I feel like I'm obsessed with Google Maps. Um, and wow. to the extent of like I've, I've figured out features that a lot of mates just have no idea. So um, like I'll rate places that I go to, I'll star places, I'll drop pins in places that I want to go to. So <laughs> I know the audience won't be able to see it, but I'll, I'll be able to show you. Yeah. Um, if you zoom in on my Google Maps, um, like 
it's got a, a pretty detailed map of where I've been to in the world. Um, so you can sort of see Oh my there. gosh, what? And then you like zoom into cities and like restaurants. Wow. Um, it's this kind of like weird obsession with just, you know, having a trace of where I've been and what I've enjoyed. Just <laughs> think I lose my memory or something. That is so cool. Wow. That is... <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I no, it is, but I, I, it's cool because I, I didn't even realize you could do that on, on Google Maps. I mean, um, I love maps and I've, I've got a, a map of Australia up on my wall here, which I've awesome. kind of like started pinning yeah. um, places I've been to, but having a one on your phone is handy. Yeah, it's um, a virtual world, mate. We're ready for it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Love it. Uh, so good. Um, now, let's take a step back to when you were in high school, uh, year 11, year 12, or even early if you want. Like, yep. what did you sort of dream of becoming? What were your aspirations? And um, like, once you finished school? Mm. Um, mate, great question. I, I remember when most schools have the, the work, um, what is it, work experience program? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I put down, oh, at that stage, I wanted to be a doctor either a doctor or an AMBO. Um, I think I actually wanted to be um, an AMBO, but for some reason, um, maybe because of the, the schooling I was going to, I, I decided doctor was more prestigious and I should aim to be a doctor. Um, so I put down um, to do work experience at like the, the hospital where I grew up um, and thinking I'd get to go into surgeries, I'd get to see all this cool stuff. And... Um, I, my days were spent two days as a dental assistant, um, two days in a community health program, which now is probably the most, the closest thing to what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and then the final day I got to spend, I had to wake up at 5.30 and be in there um, to help the cleaners um, as part of my work experience program. Oh, um, shoot. Wow. Uh, so I decided to become a doctor and I don't know if it was because of the, the cleaning, um, the cleaning part there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I feel like sometimes yeah, work experience, um, it doesn't really turn out to be what you sort of dream of Not at all. <laughs> or what you think of. Um, yeah. Wow. So there you go. And then after, so you grew up in Warnable, correct? I did. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you find growing up as a, a teenager in, in the country town there? Um, yeah, I, um, I, I usually include this in my like introduction for a workshop and, um, I always reflect on it. I, I'm one of three boys. I'm the youngest. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a great place to, to grow up. I was, I grew up in town. We didn't grow up on a farm, yeah. um, but you know, some of the, the best memories I have are probably, you know, weekends, um, at mates farms, um, mm. you know, getting to go, um, you know, in a paddock bomb or yeah, motorbike riding or whatever, um, just exploring and, and being out in nature. And the second part of that, which is the perks of sort of like a coastal country town, was we had the beach as well. So yeah, uh, yeah, summers down down in the water. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I was lucky enough to yeah, I feel pretty lucky to have uh, had an upbringing down in, in Warrnambool. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and like. I, I reflect on my own sort of time because I'm from Horsham, yeah. so pretty much north of You're you. On the road. Um, yeah. And, you know, I got caught in this like trap 
um, in probably later high school where everyone was saying, oh, you know, Horsham's such a, a dumb, there's nothing to do here, want to go out, want to go to Melbourne, want to get out of Horsham, do something else. And I sort of got caught in that mentality as well. But like since coming to uni and moving away, from Horsham, I've like realized how lucky I was and how good my childhood was yeah. growing up in Horsham. Mate, I, I, I recall a very similar journey. Like I, you know, as a young, like, you know, early teenage years, I really enjoyed Warnable. Mm. Um, I, I did, I mean, I ended up going to boarding school at age 14. Um, yep. And I reckon from, from 14 through to maybe like, 22 or 23 I didn't really um think about Warnable in a way of like longing to go back there or mm. I was pretty happy kind of like what you were saying you know other people in in the town wanted to get away so I was quite happy um to, to be having that experience but I reckon from the age of like 22 or 23 I really I was going back to Warnable pretty regularly I was back in living in Melbourne um, and most weekends I'd be aching to, to get down, to get back down there and um, mm. yeah, enjoy the, enjoy the life. Yeah, definitely. It brings a, a whole nother sort of sense of community, sense of like yeah. freedom, mm. um, everything like that. So mm. yeah, it's, it's um, something that I've done a lot of, lot of thinking about and like, I reckon uh, I could almost end up there teaching or end up teaching in the country. I know that for a fact. Yeah. When I finish my degree, I don't. Oh, mate, especially with the outdoor ed, don't, don't torture yourself by coming to a, um, a city school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, beauty. Um, so I know you've had a, a pretty, pretty awesome journey, done yeah. sort of quite a few different pathways once you left yeah. high school. Can you touch on, you know, what you did when you did leave high school? Yeah, no worries. So, um, like I said, I, I, I went to, um, to, to boarding school up here in Melbourne um, from, yeah. from year nine to 12. Um, and uh, it was an experience that I didn't particularly love at the beginning. Um, boarding school was quite tough for me. Yeah. Um, but I ended up uh, sort of, yeah, having a bit of a, a journey there um, and came full circle. Like, and I really enjoyed my time there at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky enough uh, when graduating to to get a scholarship to go to university up in Queensland. Uh, yeah, which was uh, pretty amazing. The interesting thing that happened though was the scholarship was awarded in September before my VCE exams. Right. So what happened, and I was quite lucky, like I um, yeah, applied for a scholarship to, for a double degree, law and uh, international relations. Mm. Um, got accepted and got the offer before exams. Um, and I am the kind of person that really sort of needs to be uh, continually motivated. Well, maybe not anymore, but at that, that stage, I definitely needed to be motivated to, to do well. Yeah. Um, so when I got the scholarship, I just like laxed off. I remember, um, you know, my study schedule dropped massively. Um, which meant that my VCE score was significantly less than what had been predicted as part of the application process. So I started university on academic probation um, just because they thought, well, maybe I'd, I'd cheated the system. Um, yeah, right. So, so that was a bit risky. But anyway, I, I, I passed the first semester and they realised that I... Um, could actually was, do it. Yeah, could, could do it. 
Um, and yeah, I, I had a great time at university. Um, I, yeah, like I said, I, I started off doing law and international relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up switching international relations to communications. Yeah, right. Yep. And then from there, um, mate, yeah, uni, the uni life, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to, to go to, to Bond Uni, a very small university. Um, it had a quite a strong college sort of lifestyle. Yeah. Well, a lot of the, my friends from there are from either interstate or international. So we all lived on campus. Um, yeah. It was a pretty big party scene. Um, and it was very much encouraged that people took on additional roles um, at the university. So in addition to study, you'd give back in some way. So for me, it was balanced by um, I joined the student council. I was this, what was it, campus life director. Um, yeah, yeah. Which was a lot of fun. Um, that was, you know, I'd organise a barbecue once a week and a lot of different social activities. Um, throughout my time at uni, I became president of the Beer Appreciation and Social Intercourse Club, um, <laughs> which was quite, quite um, entertaining. Yeah, um, yeah. And, what a uh, club. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It was a lot of fun, but it's also, um, you know, I work in, in a space of you know masculinity and um, yeah, you know, positive masculinity, and um, you know, I look back on uni days and and really can see, you know, um, yeah, some of that that stuff that I myself have been involved in that, um, yeah, was was probably very troublesome. Mm. Um, but we can come to that a bit later. Um, the, the, thing, the way I guess I balanced off the, the party side of, um, of uni was I also was involved with a group who um, organised um, uh, a thing called the Bond Children's Holiday Camp. And this was a uh, camp for kids with disabilities um, okay, yeah. around Christmas time to provide them with a pretty fun experience. You know, we'd take them to SeaWorld, they'd stay on campus um, and, you know, we'd have the West Westpac helicopter come, we'd do sailing, heaps of fun activities. It yeah, yeah, cool. Their parents and families um, a fair bit of respite um, and it would give other university students a chance to engage in, in, in service and um, also learn about this life with disability. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, mate, uni was, was a dream, balanced, um, fun lifestyle and got the education out of it as well, which was helpful. Yeah. And a lot <laughs> of my mates. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of my close mates are from uni. Um, but I guess what also a pretty significant thing happened at uni for me, um, probably in the early days, uh, it was 2011 um, that I, yeah, found out that a, a guy who was the year above me at boarding school um, had taken his own life. Um, his name was Ben, um, Benedict Burgess. Um, and he, we weren't close mates uh, at school. He was the year above me at the boarding house, but he was definitely someone I looked up to. Right. Um, he helped me probably when I was really struggling with boarding school. Um, he just felt like a real big brother um, for me and I had a lot of respect for him um, and yeah I, I really looked up to him so to, to, to find out that news about him really shook me mm-hmm. um, and I was what it would I would have been yeah 21 turning 21 that year and pretty rattled um, and I didn't know what to do mental health was something that wasn't being talked about exactly yeah so I November November just kicked off um, yep. 
and I ended up chatting um, with a group of mates who wanted to do Movember. Seemed like a great way to, to remember Ben, but also probably raise some money and start some conversations. Um, and that was yeah, the starting point for probably my career because as, as um, uh, you know, the, the story goes, I ended up um, sort of hassling Movember for a job once I finished uni. Yep. Um, I, I did get a job. I worked with them for two and a half, three years as a community engagement manager um, before deciding I wanted to go traveling. Um, I traveled for, for about two years backpacking. Um, and then becoming a tour guide in Europe. Yeah, yeah, sick. Which was great. Um, I came back to Australia and um, got a job working on another campaign, the Polish Man campaign, um, ending violence against children. Um, And that's where, yeah, I guess we we shared an office with with the Tomorrow Man team as they were were starting up and um, just going gangbusters. And I remember sort of sitting in the office just, um, yeah, overhearing their conversations, hearing about the work they were doing and really um, admiring it um, from afar but never really thinking it would be something that I would be able to do. Yeah. Um, and then when I decided to, I feel like I was, I'm in a bit of a, I'm one of those people who, who works for a couple of years and feels like they need to travel. Um, <laughs> so I was getting to the end of working on the, the Polish Man campaign and I had this itch to go pack my bags and get back over to Europe. Um, and when I handed in my resignation, word travelled pretty quickly in that office and, and Tom Harkin and, and Paige, who, um, Paige is the CEO of Tomorrow Man, Tomorrow Woman, um, yeah, pulled me aside and, and told me about the work they were doing and that they wanted to chat to me about coming and working with them. And, um, yeah, man, I was pretty shocked. Yeah, um, I didn't wrong. had this in me and, um, yeah, I have spent the last year and a half learning how to facilitate and, and really feeling pretty fucking lucky to, to travel across Australia or, or virtually now. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> hold conversations um, with men, um, you know, who are all ages, um, all backgrounds, different parts of this country. Um, and not only be able to create spaces for them to talk, but, but also be the beneficiary of their words. Like I learn so much from the work I do. Yeah, you were saying that, like that you just through um, preaching the stuff, you, you're having to sort of reflect on your own sort of practices there as well. 100%. Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah, a matter of um, yeah, doing this work and, and asking people to be honest with you. You've got to really make sure that you're being honest with them um, and yourself as well. So, yeah, yeah. it's probably a bit of a, a long-winded answer to your question. No, but- no, no, I love it. And that's, I suppose that's how I kind of set up these these chats is to pick apart your journey and, and yeah. sort of, you know, see um, the, um, I suppose, that line because um, there is no linear sort of, you know, line to get to where, where you want to be um, and no one really sort of we we can set our goals high um and sort of say i want to want to do this but often that that journey changes Um, yeah so like i know i know in my short sort of period of time like i just was fascinated and just obsessed of joining the air force like that was my lifelong dream yeah and wanted to do that ever since i was like old enough to like you know dream about a job basically um because my grandparents and their sort of parents and my my great uncles and everything were um 
you know, all part of the defense force. Yeah. And so it's, it's in my sort of family history, mm-hmm. um, but got pretty sick in, in 2016. And so um, to get into the defense force, you kind of need a clean medical sleep or, um, you know, mm-hmm. thing there. So that kind of blew my chances and okay. had to sort of reassess and, I'm now in like outdoor education and PE and something that I am just embracing and loving every day. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, yeah, have my goals on, on being a teacher and, and I'm um, working in, in rural sort of Australia, but we'll see where that goes. That's right, man. It's, it's so funny how, yeah, life can, can throw you those curveballs and, um, yeah, you, you don't realize what's waiting around the corner and sometimes it's, mm. yeah, it's better than, better than anything you had even planned or hoped for so yeah and to think that you started oh and and finished your your law and communications degree and you're not really working in law i mean you're working in communications yeah. for sure mm. but um yeah the, the law component is probably not there so much <laughs> not at all mate i, I mean I, I was kind of i only put down the law kind of thing because at a careers night the the guy from the actual university told me um, cause I just said, I wanted to do international relations. He's like, well, put down, you want to do a double degree because you know, if you get the scholarship, the scholarship will be of a higher value and then blah, blah, blah. So I only put it down cause he told me, thank God yeah. I did because I learned a lot from law, but, um, I'm very thankful. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fully. Um, now I know you've, um, we've spoken about this before and, and yep. you've had a, a sort of different approach on masculinity and a, a sort of different, um, you've come from a different viewpoint to yeah. masculinity. Could you touch on that a little bit um, and sort of, you know, just explain your journey through that and, and finding out who you are and, and where you sit and, and what your um, take on masculinity is? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I guess it's, I don't know if it's, I mean, it is, it's a different, it is a different take. It, it probably is a different lens. Um, and that's the, the lens of, I guess, a gay male working in, in the space of masculinity. Um, I, to probably, you know, like I just sort of shared with you then, yeah, my, I guess the last, oh, what is it, 15 years of my life um, and, and didn't mention my sexuality there. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's, it's almost a, a different layer that then sits on top of it. Um, so that layer being, um, yeah, I was in the closet, um, until I was 25, um, or a term I've heard recently, a straight jacket, um, which is yeah. quite interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I never yeah. liked the term living in the closet, um, because I, I wasn't like, I wasn't a reserved person. Um, I was definitely very social, um, very much, um, you know, like out and about in terms of um, making a lot of friends and, uh, you know, quite active in... Making those connections with people and stuff, yeah. Yeah, whatever I was doing, I didn't feel like I was hidden, Um, but there was this, um, yeah, this this other element, I guess, that was was restricting me um, from being who I was. Um, And, yeah, we'll we'll probably pick it apart in this conversation, but... um, I guess the reason I was um, probably yeah in that straight jacket until the age of 25 was um, my experience of, of growing up in a regional town, um, going to an all boys boarding school. Um, and probably what I've realized most recently is 
not being exposed to anyone um, who was gay, who fitted the um, sort of the ideal of how I wanted to live my life. Like, you know, growing up, um, you know, I was born in um, 1990, so 90s and 2000s, portrayals of gay men were um, uh, pretty stereotypical you know, gay was that you were flamboyant, you were yeah. feminine, um, you had to like certain things and I that didn't that didn't fit with me. So I think that's probably why I struggled for so long was because yeah, I, I still identified more closely with this this male stereotype or this yeah. male, you know, masculine stereotype than I did with the gay stereotype. So yeah, it took me it's, quite a while to to to, to figure that out. And I think that's like one of those things that, you know, that um, I suppose that gay stereotype is so ingrained, like you, you sort of um, in society that it is very, you know, flamboyant or feminine as you sort of suggested, but um, it, it's not in that aspect. It's, um, and I, I can't sort of obviously speak from personal experiences, but, you know, I'm learning that, um, society places all these, you know, pressures on us or, or yep. puts these um, pictures in our heads of how things should look. Mm. And it's really not that way. It's about, you know, defining it ourselves um, in some aspects. So, yeah, like, I mean, for you, when did you sort of, I suppose, in a country town, was that when you kind of um, start to, you know, develop this or, or feel a bit different, feel a little bit odd to others? Um, what was the, the go there? Yeah, um, mate, I would say I probably first became um, aware of like my, I guess, differences um, probably around, yeah, year six or, or year seven. Um, yeah. And like, it's, it's funny because I probably wasn't really aware of it. Um, I, I, do, I, I do remember um, like in year seven, um, a kid at school sort of saying to me, um, telling me that um, uh, another one of our mates' mums had, had, you know, had, he'd overheard her saying something about um, me being gay. Right. And, um, that was the first time that I'd ever been presented with the idea that the people thought of me that way. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I mean, I, my response was to just flat out deny it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was almost reactionary and I don't know why that was like, I can't actually go back and say, because you know, um, my parents told me that I couldn't be gay. Like that's not at all the case. My parents are, are you know, beautifully supportive of me and, mm. and I've always known that they'd, they'd be supportive of me. Um, but there was something inside of me that knew that there was, um, or that didn't, you know, not, not that it's, that I knew it, that I felt as though, um, that wasn't going to be an acceptable thing. Um, so yeah, man, year seven probably was, was when I became aware of it. Yeah. Wow. And so in that, um, growing up in that boys or boys yep. school and and obviously in a country town um you you obviously found it quite hard to to pinpoint or to have um have your ideals sort of um 
uh, what I'm sort of getting at here, like your, your picture of what you want to sort of be like. Yeah. Um, how did you sort of travel through high school? Did you um, put on a mask as you were sort of yeah. before and, and did you have always feel like you were, um, weren't right on the inside or like yeah. felt like you were a bit, you know, um, not, not depressed, but like, you know, had those um, negative emotions or were sort of upset in, in some aspects? Yeah, it's an it, it's an interesting thing because I, I've, I've reflected on this, and um, you know, like, I mean, most people probably need to to go and see a psychologist or yeah. you know have some form form of therapy in life, no matter what. Um, mm. But you know, I, I I I definitely needed to do it just to process, um, you know, my experience. Um, yeah, as someone who, who who probably hid parts of myself for so long. Um, that I needed to, to, to do that. But in that process, I probably learned that um, I think I found it quite easy to, to put that mask on. Right. Um, because it was almost like I knew that, I, I, well, I, again, I, I don't know why I keep saying I, I knew because um, I don't think it was, you know, it, it's true, but I felt as though if... I was true about my sexuality in those environments, um, either, you know, the country town um, school environment or in an all boys boarding school that things weren't going to be available to me um, mm. as they were the rest of people. So, I, I, and I think, you know, it's that shame <laughs> experience, like, you know, being shamed upon, by by yeah. the country town or by other other boys in your your boarding house or whatever. Yeah, and and you know that I would I wouldn't be able to, um, you know, socialize with certain people or I wouldn't be able to be friends with certain people was probably a fear because you know again like I said earlier I'm pretty so I am pretty social. Um, yeah. As a person and um so I almost and I read it somewhere um you know, someone else's experience of growing up gay and they sort of said that they, you know, almost for the better half of, you know, high school um, threw their sexuality back of the um, the locker and, and slammed it closed pretty hard and, and locked it away. Right. Um, that's kind of how I felt. Like I, I, I don't remember, um, I remember sort of at the boarding house crying because I was homesick but I never, I, I, I have no recollection or um, memories of being um, really upset about my sexuality. I knew that I would deal with it when I needed to. Right. I didn't want to, I, I sort of had a pretty clear and healthy relationship with it in that I, I knew when it was safe to, to do so, when it was safe to, to pull it out mm. and deal with it, I would. But for now, that wasn't now. And I, and I didn't need to either. Um, well, I felt like I didn't need to. Need to yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's interesting that you mentioned that um, safety sort of aspect because, I mean, I'm doing a lot of reading and, and listen. I don't know if you come across Brene Brown. I have, yeah. Um, and I, I feel like her, her philosophies and, and the things she writes about is incredible, um, particularly around shame and, yeah. and how that can be that, um, I suppose, the thing that's stopping us from forming the, 
those deeper connections yeah. and um, that vulnerability aspect and how, you know, we need to feel safe and mm. be in a safe environment before we can be open and yeah. be vulnerable about things. So for you, when was that safe environment? Like when did you feel like you could be vulnerable and, and open up? Yeah. Um, so it was, um, it was probably, I mean, I mean, when I was able to probably start pulling my sexuality, you know, out and, and slowly start unwrapping it was, um, when I was 20, what would that have 23. Um, so I'd moved yeah. back to Melbourne from, from university. Right. Um, and, um, living in Melbourne, um, as a you know um single guy in his early 20s um that was something it was just an environment uh, i'd always sort of thought of my birthday's on the 25th of september so yeah 25 is pretty significant to me so i thought when you said episode 25 i was like what <laughs> um my bad <laughs> yeah no that's all good um but, but i sort of made an agreement with myself that i would yeah, pull out my sexuality and figure it out by the time I was 25. Yeah. Um, so I started to do that when I was 23. Um, and yeah, I mean, it included a lot of things, um, you know, slowly starting going on dates um, or, or having, you know, um, experiences with, with, with other guys. Um, it involved me going overseas, which I, I hear is quite a, um, a normal experience for a lot of people who... Um, uh, or have questioned their sexuality to remove themselves from the environment that they're in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, for me, that was, I went over to, um, yeah, to, to Europe and, um, uh, you know, it wasn't for that purpose only. It was for um, the reason of traveling. Um, yeah. I allowed myself to, to probably feel more comfortable. And I remember actually being in a conversation with a group of people and, saying for the first time, um, you know, like them falsely assuming that I was straight and, and me correcting them and, and saying, well, actually I'm gay um, and saying those words and actually hearing them and, and it like, yeah, man, it was yeah. a full body experience because I felt, I felt like throwing up as I was saying it. Um, wow. You know, when you talk about that deep-rooted shame that, you know, Brennan Brown talks about, um, yeah, it was a physical experience. And even... Mm-hmm. You know, like I just said it. I just said it then, and is there's almost like historical traces of that same feeling that I can feel when I do say it, which is yeah, is part of the I guess part of the problem. Um, yeah, that that still exists. Yeah, geez, and so for you, um, because obviously travel is like such a um, a good thing, and I've done a bit of solo travel as well, and um, I feel like when you are having that solitude time in some aspects, it, um, you really have that reflection. And so was that the, the point in time where you were doing a lot of self-reflection and exploring other aspects of, of you? Yeah. Um, yep, it was definitely. Travelling um, was, yeah, my opportunity to, yeah, probably live life as an openly gay man for a couple of months. Um, and just to see how that felt um, and, and probably less um, externally, but how did that feel internally? Like how did that make me feel when, 
yeah, meeting people. And, mate, I chose probably the safest country slash um, city in the world to do it at. I was in Berlin in Germany. Right. Which is very, very um, <laughs> gay and, um, uh, you know, open to... Multi... Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cultural. Like, yeah, it was um, it was a great place to do it. Um, but it, it landed and the... When I realised that uh, I could meet people, talk about and, and, you know, meet people in gay communities but also in, you know, um, straight communities, I met a lot of Australian backpackers over there. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was the other thing, like, you know, the, the, the moment I shared with you before um, about saying it for the first time was with two friends of friends from Brisbane um, and... Um, I didn't know them previously, but a friend of mine from uni had connected us, said you're both in the same city. You guys should catch up like all Australians do. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I let it land with them and, and was expecting a, a pretty adverse reaction and I didn't get one. I, you know, they were like, oh, you know, I don't think they even said, oh, cool. They just, um, you know, they just carried it on. And yeah, wow. That was cool. That was really cool. Um, I was actually going to ask you before, like when... Um, growing up yep. in a country town or in a like a all boys school mm. um were sort of the i suppose the the gay male or those sort of um aspects were they really put down or shamed upon or sort of said you you can't be that or were other sort of yeah. men um that were gay were they teased and you sort of you know saw that and and that's why you you held a bit in um, it's so strange. I'm, I'm racing through my mind right now to try and remember if there was anyone that I could point to in Warnable at my like school that was gay and that they were put down or anything like that. I don't think there was anyone or yeah. anyone in that experience, which, which goes to show because that's not true. That's not, yeah. Um, yeah. and that's one of the amazing things of the work I'm doing now. I get to see that. I go into back to schools. I'm going back to my old school, and I had a conversation with a wellbeing person the other day. And um, you know, she told me about some of the work they're doing with um, students who not only identify as um, you know gay or, um, or um, had different sexualities, but um, different genders. And um, yeah, that's, that's probably a conversation for later. But I think it's incredible how far we've come. Um, yeah, not wrong. So, so no, um, back at home. I, I don't recall that experience at um, at school, at the, the boarding school I went to, not in the boarding house, but um, particularly, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking with, I'm, I'm getting a, a sense of like deep sadness just thinking about this. There was a group of boys that, that I think were all out um, and they yep. were friends with each other because... I don't know if that would have been accepted into any other group. Mm. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I've, I've scrapped it from my memory, but, you know, the school I went to had, you know, we, we had the boarders, we had the nerds, the cool nerds, the jocks. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure that group was referred to as the gays. Yeah, um, right. And, yeah, they felt, you know, it felt like they were very much on the outer and, um, people still chatted to them and stuff, but they didn't give them much, you know, 
it, it didn't feel like they were welcome in yeah. parts of, 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 of the school. Um, and, and yeah, so I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm feeling pretty disappointed um, with that. Yeah, like I even sort of think back to my my own high school mm. and like that that term um like oh you're you're gay or whatever is, is thrown around almost like an insult yeah. in in some cases and like it um it's just incredible on how um how that can really uh like i suppose dishearten or disconnect people um and also um put in in place the the things that society is is you know conforming us to or whatever it may be like i know like now it's it's obviously where we've come so far haven't we um and even i i remember um in cadets i was i was in cadets for a good part and um you know we um that the the term like oh oh hey you guys and there'd be like yep. males females everyone in in that group like we were sort of told to use um, more inclusive terms terms yeah. that you know refer yeah, to everyone world. yeah and um and that was like I suppose the and that was I was in cadets when I was I started when I was in year seven or year eight mm. and that was really the first time I'd been introduced to that and gone oh yeah, well, the, the language we use can really be harmful um, mm. and have a, a huge psychological impact on totally. on people without us even knowing and without them even knowing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting thing. And I know you've had Ryder on your, on your show before. And, yeah. Uh, big fan of Ryder. Um, and, you know, like I, when I started facilitating, I remember um, sitting in, workshops with Ryder and, and, and that, that term had been thrown around. Um, uh, yeah, someone, someone mentioned something about like, don't be gay and, and Ryder um, pulled, pulled them up on it and, and just sort of shared his own personal experience about, um, you know, at a footy club that, that those, that kind of language at his footy club, that kind of language had been used and he pulled his teammates up on it. Um, yeah. Shared his personal connection with, with someone in his life who's gay and how much love and, you know, um, admiration he has for that person mm. in his life. And he doesn't see gay as being anything wrong. So why would uh. he use it as an insult? And I remember sort of sitting at the back of one of Rose workshops and, and watching that, you know, and, and he's a, um, a, you know, a straight guy who has incredible pull and power um, with, with other men and, yeah, watching him, uh, you know, pull people up on that was was, was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, that's sort of it. Sort of encouraged me to to also pull people up on it because you know I generally let it slide, uh, mm. which which is fine. It's not just because it doesn't affect me, but I pull. I'm starting to pull people up on it because it's going to affect people the younger next generation yeah, yeah next generation and and it, and it does like it definitely does have a i don't care what people say it has a, a an effect on someone who is growing up gay if they're constantly hearing it used as an insult mm. then they're going to feel as though it's there's something wrong yeah they're they're not trusting the outcome they're sort of yeah. you know going um this is a safe sort of model yep. to to live up to 
not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's like, it's a, a very sort of more complex topic, isn't it? But um, for you, how, how did you sort of get comfortable in your own skin? And, and I mean, now you're, you're sort of obviously um, quite open about it and, and talk yeah. about it and, um, and you talk about masculinity in general. So how, how did you get to that point of being comfortable of taking off that jacket, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, I think I'd be lying if I say I, I, I'm in a complete place of comfort with it. Of course, yeah. Um, I still, you know, like I, I'm delivering workshops on masculinity where we ask, um, you know, the groups the question, you know, what what is the stereotype of an Aussie male and nine times out of ten, one of the one of the expectations that gets thrown out either in a classroom or in a community group is don't be gay, mm. um, and they'll generally clarify that this isn't this is the old school stereotype that they're talking about. Yeah, but to to constantly be um, to be reminded that your sexuality has something to do with your masculinity is something that yeah definitely. Um, uh, is 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 a thing that I need to to continually work on. How I how I became comfortable with it myself, things that have helped me feel comfortable with it is um, probably exposure to real life versions of of, um, uh, of gay men. Um, yeah, and that being you know a way role of, models. Yeah, role models um, for me. Um, and I've never sort of even shared with this person when I was, um, uh, yeah, working in one of those earlier jobs, um, working in Movember, um, there was a, uh, someone who was working with us in our team, um, and, um, very unassumingly, um, they were very unassuming about their sexuality and, and I'd sort of been working with them for maybe three or four months before. Um, you know, they mentioned something about, uh, he mentioned mm. something about his boyfriend and um, that was the sort of the first person who's, um, that I think I could really relate to uh, in the sense of the way that they were living their life and their sexuality, not, not because of their sexuality, Sexual. but right. yeah, it didn't define who they were. Um, yeah, I love that. And I, I think that's, that was a huge thing for me. It was, the, you know, and that, I was, I think I was 24 at that stage. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, I, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a really big thing. And it's probably, it's probably a good reminder to um, reach out and let that person know about the impact they had because, yeah, it was pretty profound. Um, so, yeah, being exposed and, and um, having access to, yeah, those different representations mm. um, was was very helpful for me feeling comfortable. Um, I think, I mean, definitely the experience of coming out, um, you know, is a very, um, and sorry, for me, it was a very liberating experience. I know for a lot of people, it can be many very varied and different things. And for some people, it can be a very painful process um, of, of, the reactions of others, but I have, you know, incredible family support um, network around me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And friends as well. I, I'd never really had any 
I didn't have any reaction from from people who I told that it was um, uh, that was painful or oh, yeah. Hard. Um, so, so that helps, that helped me. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel lucky for that part, that part, not everyone can have, um, everyone is just, everyone should have it. Um, but that's on other people, not on, um, not on the yeah. individually. Um, and then other things that have helped, I think just time, time being a openly gay man, um, has allowed okay. me to feel more comfortable in my skin. Um, you know, I've got, I've, I've got a bit of, um, uh, play a bit of time to catch up on, um, you know, having suppressed that side of myself. Mm. Um, and I think for me as well, and, and, you know, like it probably goes against the, the thing of empowering yourself to do that. But, um, you know, I'm in a relationship at the moment. Um, it's a bit of a tough relationship because um, my partner's, He's French and he's in Paris and I'm in Australia and right. um, COVID is really um, fucking with our plans to, to be together um, yeah. at the moment. But, um, oh, yeah, I've met someone who, yeah, allows me to really, um, yeah, feel comfortable um, and, and, and also knows me pretty well to, to pull me up and ask questions where I feel safe to answer them about yeah. my sexuality. And because um, for a while there, I, I, you know, if I got asked early on when I came out was, was the first w- was living in the closet or, or in the straitjacket hard, I would have said, Oh no, it was fine. You know, like it's kind of that, that masculinity trait coming out. Like, no, nah, mm-hmm. you know, and I had I sort of felt like I had to, if I acknowledged how tough it was or um, the toller to take on me, I would be, it would have been seen as weak. Weak. Yep. Yep. Um, so we're coming into so the part here. So I felt like I had, I had for 25 years, I had held it together and I had, um, and I wasn't going to let anyone take that away from me. And you're going to continue to hold it together and, yeah. and not break down. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, which is something like I'm sort of, you know, trying to explore in these conversations is that, you know, um, the, that normal stereotype of, of males having it all together, you know, being strong, carrying everything on our shoulders kind of thing. And, and that doesn't have to be the case, you know, and, and actually, um, I think writer, writer talks about it like that, um, crying and being vulnerable is yep. um is actually a, a really powerful form of masculinity yeah um and but it's something that's just not acknowledged yep. um but through conversations like this and and others it's it's slowly you know becoming more the norm mm. um so here's the kicker for a, a, a gay man who um is working in the space of masculinity the struggle I had early on was um, I'm trying to prove my masculinity and every time that I am um, challenging that masculinity by showing emotion, by crying, it's going to be put down to my sexuality Mm. Um, and it's going to be as a way to prove that I am less masculine or, or, you know, my my sexuality proves that I'm less masculine. Um, So I guess the the thing that I've been, you know, working on recently is to, to separate those two things out. My sexuality does not have an impact on my masculinity. My masculinity sits separately. 
Um, and um, the fact that I, yeah, am like, I guess, no more or less comfortable crying than you know, a, straight, a straight man that's out there or um, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, those, those yeah. patients and stereotypes are, are really interesting to examine. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, um, you sort of touched on there that like, you know, your, your time in, in Tomorrow Man, how has yeah. that helped um, with that sort of separating and, and sort of um, defining and, and getting to know your, yourself? Yeah. Um, oh, mate, I have um, two things that have been pretty incredible. One um, is the the team that I get to work with. Mm. Um, you know, like I'm working with uh, a team of men and women who have worked in, in this space for a very long time and have been doing it since they were teenagers. They know how to ask questions. They know how to make you feel safe. They know how to support you. Um, and when we're working together, we, we will do, do like community activations where we'll be, you know, up in Wagga Wagga or over in Southwest WA yeah. um, for a week at a time. And, you know, we're having dinners together. We're in car rides for hours. So the conversations we're getting to have and the questions that I got asked um, and was allowed to explore and talk about my sexuality. Um, True for the last year has been like free therapy. It's been great. Yeah. But even more than that is probably um, the work itself. I, you know, I get to go into yeah sports, sports clubs or to community halls, um, but mainly to schools um, mm -hmm. and to hear people's different experiences and, I've had, yeah, the, the real pleasure and um, honour of, of listening to mainly young people, people who are a lot younger than me um, and, and at school or at university talk about their experiences of sexuality, um, yeah. their experiences of coming out or their experiences of not having role models or whatever it might be. And I've learned a lot from those conversations. Which, yeah, again, like I think, I think I just feel very fortunate and lucky to, yeah, to get to do. Um, yeah, definitely. I um, I always say, like at the end of my my podcast, that um, like conversation is progress. Yeah, and it, it just goes to show, like the the conversations you were having was progress in in sort of um, finding yourself and and getting more comfortable. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. I love it. Yeah, don't shy away from the conversations. Um, and I think that's that's something that's been reinforced to me lately, um, you know, with the um, the Black Lives Matter movement that's happening mm -hmm. at the moment. I'm doing a lot of reading up, um, reading um, White Fragility at the moment, which is a great book. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of reading um, around Indigenous cultures. Yeah. And... I think the thing that I'm taking away from a lot of that is, um, yeah, engage, like lean in and engage in the conversations um, and ask, like feel comfortable to ask questions because you might get, it might feel awkward or uncomfortable to do that, 
but that is exactly what's required. And I think that's the sign that, you know, you're doing the right thing is you are leaning into awkwardness, discomfort. Yeah. Um, Definitely. And yeah, if there's any, yeah, anyone that's listening and, and particularly around like sexuality and if you, if you know someone who may have gone through something similar to me or, or maybe questioning their, um, their sexuality, do it in a, in a safe way and make sure you make them feel comfortable but ask questions, give mm. them a chance because I, I remember really enjoying that, having friends who I've been very close with over the last, you know, for, for my life or from uni who were then able to ask me questions about my sexual. I loved that. That was so nice. Yeah. It showed that they, they, they cared. cared. Yeah. Yeah. So keep the conversation going. Yeah. I, um, it's, it's so true. Like I have, um, I probably only probably went restrictions eased, um, the first time for Victoria and, you know, we were able to catch up with some mates and stuff. And I had a, quite a few mates over for mine we, we sat by the fire had a few beers and just the the stuff that was coming up was quite emotional quite hard to to i suppose um comprehend and it it uh, in some aspects didn't sit well but like just actually talking about it with them and um and so going through that was quite liberating and felt so much better afterwards yeah and like you know i even just the weekend gone had a, a really interesting conversation with this bloke. Um, and that was two, two females there, another bloke. And, um, he was very much the, the old school kind of, um, stereotype that like, you know, she'll be right. And, yeah. um, and the way that, and we're talking about men's mental health yeah. and his sort of take on it was that, um, we, we don't need to be emotional or vulnerable. It's, yeah. we just need to do an activity together. Like, um, you know, doing something with your hands and the emotions will come out that way. And I, I was sort of, you know, asking him more and more about it and, and sort of asking some questions and it's like finding out that actually, well, that wasn't probably an effective way for him or his mates. And I was bringing to, I suppose that the floor some new ideas that, you know, the the activity itself is is so important for us males to yeah. be doing something yep. but then to open up and, and be vulnerable and talk about our emotions and feelings is yeah. is that next step and, and where we need to sort of head um in the in the future. Yeah. Um but it was it was really interesting because he was like flat out, no, you don't need to. Like it's yeah. just the activity and and um it's just that aspect <laughs> yeah and mate you bang on the money and and look some i mean we talk about these old school stereotypes um and we're very quick to reassure because you know sometimes people will have very strong opinions about it yeah we, we never go in claiming that those things are uh, bad or wrong yeah we need balance and range yeah um, there are times when you do need to um I don't want to say toughen up, but it, you know, like when when resilience um, or stoicism is necessary. Mm. You know, we talk about going into drought-stricken areas, and um, these guys coming in and saying, you know, we need to be stoic. We've got years and years of this ahead of us, um, and and who are we to come in and tell them that 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 no, that that's you're not you're doing it all wrong. That, that's mm. not the case. There there is a time when you need that. 
but you also we also need to know that there is benefit that comes from um, the range and the balance of being able to know when is the right time that we need to talk um, and yeah there's i mean it, it, it's, there's a balance there's a, there's there's a definite balance yeah i love i love that word range um yeah. having that you know being able to be yeah quite stoic and and yep. toughen up as such um but then also to dial it back and and peel yeah. off those layers yeah um, and um yeah and, and and i think that's the thing that teenagers um in our workshops really respect and rate Hmm. range um like when they get to and, and even like i you know i look at it if you look at um and, and maybe it's uh, it's a hollywood thing but if you look at the tv series that that teenagers are obsessing over at the moment if you look at the storylines and the narratives and things there is always the same thing of like um you know the cool guy and then there's like the the um like the not so cool kids and, yeah and what ends up happening in those tv series is they unite they, they all come together they're connected on either fighting um bloody monsters in stranger things or um so true whatever it might be but they come together and people um you know sex education is another one where you know there's the the nerdy kid and he's able to help and support like some of the the, the the cooler kids yeah. and it's teenagers are looking at this stuff because they're desiring those things they're, they're respecting um when these characters have these um you know transformations and they they get to see that range they really respect it but mm. teenagers today are still probably too scared to actually take those steps to do it definitely like another movie that comes to mind is jumanji yeah um with the the nerd, and then he he goes into the world. He's the the rock, yeah. um, and yeah. the, the roles are, are flipped. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's definitely shines a light on on um, that we are heading in the right direction, and and that things are slowly changing yeah. um, for for younger people. But what's been some of the the hardest problems or, or challenges that young people in the workshops that you've um, been delivering have been faced with or um, have struggled with at school um, and and through mental health? Um, good question. What are some of the things? It's probably one that I didn't, I didn't write down. It's just one no, that's no, no, that's cool. then. <laughs> um, oh some of the things that they're struggling with like i mean one thing that's just jumping out for me was um and i don't want to name the particular community but i had a workshop where there was um we probably had about 30 boys in the workshop Mm -hmm. i'd say 20 of one boy finally had the courage to talk about his relationship with um his dad or, or lack of relationship absent father um, and, um, he opened up and talked about it and then it was like dominoes, you know, someone else, and he got quite emotional. And then another boy sort of came to his rescue and said, I, I know how, how you feel. And this was again, one of those power imbalances that we talk about with the, the thing. It was, um, the guy who spoke first had a lot of power in the room. The boy who then jumped to his aid to say, Hey man, I, I understand you was, 
a kid that they, they never talk. These two, two, wow. two talk. Um, and then dominoes started going down. And there was, I think, in the room of 30, there was 19 boys who could connect with that, that father relationship, either not having a relationship or having a very strained relationship with their father. Um, so, and, and that, that stuck with me um, for some reason. Um, and I think it just goes to show that the generational difference in communication um, yeah. opening up. Um, and we talk about it, you know, in that younger generations are the ones teaching empathy and um, emotion to older generations mm-hmm. these days, um, particularly when we're talking about masculinity. It's, it's young boys who are probably saying to, um, you know, it's that, there's that weird age where a, a father stops telling his son, I love you, because, it, you know, it feels awkward for him. Whereas True. it's the, the younger generation that are probably keeping that, that I love you, you know, happening or, or reintroducing it to the relationship. Um, so there's, there's a bit of that kind of stuff. But I think the, the, there's a lot of things happening for, for teenagers at the moment. You know, yeah. right now we're talking about, you know, the, the impacts of, of COVID um, and, um, you know, the feeling of disconnect, um, you know, and, and connecting on screens. Thankfully, in other states, they're going back to face-to-face. Yeah. Here in Melbourne, um, it looks like we've got another couple of months ahead of us of, of virtual. Um, but there's no doubt that's going to have an impact. Um, and we're, we're sort of seeing sure. the impact it's already having um, on, on young men. Um, uh, but constantly, the, the thing that comes back is in our workshops, we find that no matter what those kids are going through, there's other kids in the room that have exactly the same experiences and it's not until the workshop that they realise. It's not until they're given the space to talk about it that, um, that, that someone might put their hand up and say, hey, I've been struggling with anxiety or, or I've been, you know, um, my parents are, are going through a divorce and I don't know how the fuck to deal with that. Yeah. Um, and the wisdom comes from their mates who are sitting next to them. Or, or the, the, the support is there in the room. It's just not being spoken about. Yeah. And until we're able to come in and, 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 and you know. And talk about it. About it. Yeah, open it up. That they realise that, shit, you know, the answer's next to me. Or the, 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 yeah. the support. The support is next to me. Yeah. That just blows my mind um, that that, like, is possible. And, mm. I mean, um we, uh, I think at our school, we, we didn't so much have um, like a male kind of day or like a, where it was just us blokes, but we definitely had some really um, emotional experiences with the whole cohort, like with my, my whole year level yeah. um, that definitely brought us together um, like especially in our in our later years, like year eleven and year twelve, those two retreats that we went on that were just so special, um, and it's it's crazy how much connected you feel after that experience. Yeah, um, and that's something that I'm I'm really exploring more of through these conversations and through my work and what I want to want to try and sort of deliver um, in the future, but. 
yeah, it's it's looking. Uh, I'm looking forward to to continuing down this journey and and um, to also you know see where Tomorrow Man goes as well because uh, I think you you guys are doing an unreal unreal job. Yeah, um, mate. You too. Yeah, I think um, this has been such a good conversation. Um, I think I am conscious of your time, and I think we um, I'll wrap things up well, good. Uh, with, with some ending ending questions. But um, yeah, so I just got to think. What I, I've lost track. Oh yeah. Um, so if you were to meet anyone in the world, whether they be dead or alive, famous or ordinary, who would it be, and why? Oh, okay. Um, who would it be? Um, oh, like I, 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 I really panic under these like rapid fire <laughs> questions. But I'll give you the answer at the moment. Um, there's a uh, a guy called Bernie Shakeshaft. Um, he he founded um, Backtrack Boys. Okay, uh, and um, it's a um, it's a group up in Armidale. Uh, anyone who's listening, go and do a bit of research. He won, um, I think it was a community or local hero, um, uh, like Australia Day, um, yeah. uh, local hero. Um, and he, I got, I did actually get, I got to meet him. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. But the, the very quick meeting, I, I'd love to just sit down and pick his brain more and, and, and hear more. He, he's the kind of person who, um, you know, he has a strong belief of never, ever giving up on, on a young person. Uh, yeah. And they can do, you know, absolutely anything under the sun, um, but the door is always open for them to come back in. Um, mm. And because the, we live in a society where uh, for, for young people, doors do close very quickly. Yeah. And um, I just... You know, from from the work that I want to do, um, I think that's an incredible approach to have. I don't know if I'd be able to have that approach myself, but I would love to because I yeah. think um, um, there's yeah there's a lot of wisdom trapped in that man's head, and yeah, I'd love to understand it more. Awesome, awesome. I'm I'm gonna. I haven't heard of him, but he yeah. he seems like a, an interesting fella. I'm gonna just uh, get onto it. Um, his his language is 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 great as well. He's a real um country fella, right? Um, yeah, and he, he yeah he speaks like it too. So <laughs> love that. Um, now, if you were to give any advice to your 18 year old self or younger self or 22 year old self, what sort of advice would that be um it's a it's a campaign or a phrase that is often given to um lgbtqi plus um uh young people and it's it gets better um and i think that's yeah it's it's a pretty simple term yeah um and it's probably not even just for that community. It's for, for young people in general. Like, you know, Amazing. it does, things get better. better. Yeah, 100%. Pretty simple. I love it. I love it. So good. Um, and now my final question, what, what sparks you now, Andy? What sort of, you know, ignites that fire in your belly to do the work that you're doing every day? Oh, it ignites me. Um Probably, I mean, 
probably the realization in this podcast that I didn't really um, discover someone who was a role model for me until I was 23 or 24. Um, I think, uh, yeah, probably try. I'm probably going to be pushing now to probably share my story a bit more. Um, yeah. You've kicked that off. Um, so <laughs> thank you for, for giving me this opportunity. Um, yeah, my because, pleasure. Yeah, I get to speak to, to schools and, and, and sometimes I do mention my sexuality, sometimes I don't. I just sort of go on, on the room, but I feel like it's probably, I'm probably doing a disservice to any people who are questioning their sexuality, not to mention it. Um, so, yeah. Um, Amazing. Yeah, that's it. Amazing. I love it. So good to have you on, Andy. I, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ethan. Loved being uh, in- involved. Oh, how good was that conversation with Andy? Wow. That is a topic I haven't touched on thus far. Um, and it's really a topic that I haven't actually explored or sort of talked about openly with, um, with friends and mates. And I have um, quite a few friends that are openly gay and i'm fully supportive of them and they they know that and but you know when andy and i were first chatting and and sort of organizing and setting up this podcast you know i was wanting to focus mainly on um on masculinity focus on growing up in the country and focus on travel and what that does for the the spirit and at that point i had no idea that andy was gay and this was sort of after he delivered a, a whole um, Tomorrow Man session. And, you know, we were having a chat and he um, sort of later on in the in the conversation as we're chatting sort of mentioned that he was gay. And I was just like, I was a little bit shocked to start with. And that's probably my implicit biases coming out because I'd seen this really manly bloke deliver a... Um, a presentation or deliver a workshop that was just so profound and had a huge impact on me and I I didn't even pick up that he was gay you know during that workshop and he did not even mention it at all and and he sort of talked about that in this conversation but um yeah I think that was probably a little bit of an inbuilt um, bias there but I very quickly sort of became excited um, because as I said just before, like I haven't actually explored this topic and I haven't talked about it on the podcast and I haven't really talked about it in person with friends and that sort of thing. And so I was like, cool, this is going to be really interesting because here we have a, a bloke that just is the the stereotypical kind of stoic masculine male, but he's actually gay. And so it just goes to show that you cannot judge a book by its cover in any sense and that you should be treating everyone, absolutely everyone, with the same sort of respect and um, humility and um, same sort of, you know, sense of caring, um, I suppose you could say, towards them. And, and it, yeah, it goes to show a lot. So I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, and yeah, if you did, please take a screenshot, put it up on your Instagram story, tag myself at EJSparks underscore conversations and tag Andy, um, actually tag Tomorrow Man, okay? And, um, and share it with your friends, send them a text, send them a screenshot, just spread the word because um, I think this conversation here is a really powerful one and one that needs to be heard 
um, across multiple sort of um, areas of our community and of society. Um, but as always, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and spark that conversation because as you know, people, a conversation is progress. Thanks for listening, everyone. Peace out.